Hi, brothers and sisters in the Lord. Earlier this week, I was flipping through channels on the television. Now, I know some of you are probably flippers at home. Some of you are probably married to a flipper, and it just gets on your last nerve. But my bride, the church, she doesn't say anything. So I was flipping, and I came across this documentary, this show, I don't know if it was on TLC or National Geographic, one of those types of programs, and they were recounting the events of something that I'd never heard of. It was called the Great Tuna Run of 1998. The Great Tuna Run. And it was recalling that in 1998, about 30 miles off of Cape Cod, there was this great schooling of tuna that were running in this area for many, many months. And the reason why it actually made the documentary is because such a running of the tuna or the schooling of tuna hadn't happened that way for 47 years. And it was also a fisherman's dream. All you needed was a hook and a little piece of bait, and you were going to get a big catch. That's my kind of fishing. You know, I can't stand there and watch that little thing go up and down. I don't have patience for that. So you had a lot of people going out to this great tuna run. And the, also, the other part of the story was is that at the time, there were some Japanese individuals that were offering up to $50,000 for bluefin tuna. So there was a monetary aspect as well. And so all these people were going out off the coast of Cape Cod. But there was one problem, and the problem was this. Those of you who know anything about fishing, I didn't know this, but most of your great bluefin tuna weigh in excess of 900 pounds. And so it's not really for the amateur fishermen, because you can hook the tuna but you've got to figure out a way to get that tuna into your boat. And so all these people were out there. And so I think it was like September 22nd, September 23rd of 1998, the Coast Guard puts out an advisory that amateur fishermen should really not be out there. It's too dangerous. Well, you know what we do when the government puts out an advisement. We do the absolute opposite. And so you had all these people out there trying to catch a great fish. And certainly on that day, as the Coast Guard suspected, two boats capsized, and one boat hooked on to a great tuna, and it was completely pulled under. Because the fishermen could not control the power of that fish. When I saw that example on television, and I thought about the readings for this weekend, my brothers and sisters, it reminded me of our own lives. Because oftentimes that great tuna, that great tuna often represents our own sinfulness. That great tuna often represents the things of the world that we hold up as idols in our life. That great tuna often represents the things that we think that we can control. But what happens? Once we put a little hook into it, it pulls us under. 
St. Paul speaks about it in our second reading. We are not debtors to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You see, my brothers and sisters, that's the constant battle in our life. The battle against sin, the battle against temptation. And that looks different for each and every one of us depending upon what it is in our life that we battle with the most. Maybe ours is anger or lustfulness or resentment or envy. Maybe it's gluttony or something else that we struggle with each and every day. And we think, you know, we can control it. We can put it under our power. We just need a little bit. And once that hook gets in, it pulls us completely under. You see, my brothers and sisters, it is the struggle of life. It is the struggle of the disciples. And the question that we ask ourselves is, how do we, as faithful followers of Jesus, how do we fight that good fight? Between the desires of the flesh, the things that the world says we need to have, the money, the sex, the power, etc., etc., all these things are so important. But we realize, and oftentimes it's not until we're pulled under, that all those things do not set us free. All those things keep us in captivity. To sin, to unfaithfulness, to falling into the temptation. I often tell people in spiritual direction that really in life we should have two lists. All of us are familiar with the to-do list. Maybe it's written down on paper or now with technology, it's on our phones or our tablets, but the to-do list, all the things that we need to do. Well, in the spiritual life, we really need to have two lists. And it's really important that we write them out some kind of way so we can visually see them. We need the to-do list and what I like to call the to-don't list. The to-do list and the to-don't list. What do we need to do as disciples and what do we need to avoid? What is on the to-don't list? Just go back to the Ten Commandments. And maybe highlight the things that we struggle with individually. And what is on the to-do list? The things that we're called to do. Go back to the Beatitudes. Blessed are the peacemakers. The merciful. The clean of heart. You see, my brothers and sisters, when we do things on the to-don't list, that's the sin of commission. When we fail to do things on the to-do list, that's the sin of omission. And so many times it's much more difficult when all these things are just kind of floating in our head. When we see it concretely, right there in front of us, it's easy to battle the great tuna, whatever that sinfulness is for us. And maybe it's something big and maybe it's something small. You know, I had one person tell me after Mass yesterday, you know, Father, I love that image because one of the things I struggle with is chocolate cake. 
Because it's the sin of gluttony. And every time I see it, I just start to salivate. And I just need it. But that cake had more control over her life. How do we break the hook? Well, you see, my friends, Jesus answers that in the gospel today. We have to be yoked to him. My yoke is easy, my burden light. Because all those other things we think that's going to fulfill us and make us happy, those are the things that keep us in slavery. Those are the things that make us miserable. It is only Jesus, and when we're yoked to him, and when he is the center of our life, the center of our hope, the center of our dreams, the center of our joy, the center of who we are, only then do we experience true joy and true freedom and true peace. To be yoked to Jesus. Is Jesus at the center of who we are? Oftentimes with young people, I use this example because they can relate to it. For those who use computers a lot, you know that if you open a program to publish something or a document program, you have default settings. You open it and there are certain settings that automatically come up because they're your default settings. The size of the font, the type of the font, the margins on the page. Or as Christians, my brothers and sisters, as disciples of the Lord, where are our default settings? And who is at the center of our life? Is it our Lord? Are we yoked to Him? Or is there some other great fish, great tuna? Is there some other sinfulness, worldliness of the world, desire of the flesh that has taken the place of Jesus in our lives? And one of the only ways, my friends, that we're truly able to take on the yoke of the Lord Jesus is by our lives of prayer, of how we're in communion with the Lord through prayer, through the sacraments, through our spiritual reading, in the ways that we continue to strengthen our own spiritual life. Are we a people of prayer? Or are we more concerned about all the big fishes that the world says we need to focus on? There was a little story I was reading earlier this week. It was about a man in the Northeast who had a prayer room. Many people may have a prayer room or a prayer chair or somewhere where they go and pray and his particular prayer room, he converted part of an upstairs attic in an old house. And it had his prayer chair, it had his kneeler, his pray do. It had the Bible and other books and devotionals that he used. And everyone in the family knew that any time he was there in his prayer room, he was not to be disturbed. And so one day, after a very long week, a very long month, he recounts, with all things going on at work and in the family, he goes up to his prayer room. And while he is up there, maybe for about five minutes, the door swings open. And there's his little six-year-old girl. He has, I think it was like five children he has. 
his little six-year-old. And she says to him, Daddy, I know you told me we're never to disturb you in your prayer room, but I just need to let you know that you have been very busy this past month. And you have not spent a lot of time with us. I just need you to know that I love you. And I want to spend more time with you. And at that, the door shut. Out of the mouth of babes. And the man goes on to recount that as he entered into prayer, his prayer to God was, Father, forgive me because I have not spent enough time with you. Because God was not at the center, because he had let all the other things of life, all the big tunas take over, he was not able to focus on the most important things. His faith, his God, his family, the gifts that God has given him. My friends, as we go forth this day and as we come to the Lord's altar, may we ask ourselves, are we yoked to Jesus? Is he truly at the center of our life? And if he's not, and we all fight our temptations in life, we all fight our devils, whatever it is that we think that we are hooked to or we're trying to reel in, that we need to cut the fishing line. We need to cut the spiritual ties so that we can have Jesus at the center of our life. As the old spiritual goes, Jesus, you're the center of my joy. All that's good and worthy comes from you. You're the heart of my contentment, the hope of all things new. Jesus, you're the center of my joy.